Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Ami Hober, former Republican candidate for Maryland's 6th Congressional District. How are you doing today, Ami? I'm doing fine, thank you. Excellent. So I'd like to ask you, what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, let's start off with I've been working on national security all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I have literally done since the day I got out of college, uh, where I was hired by a company called Stanford Research Institute. Mm-hmm. It's now called SRI International, to work on an Army ballistic missile defense project. Huh. And I have worked on national security ever since then. It wasn't a field I particularly intended to get into. It was the first job I got offered, and I had to pay my rent. This what had you intended to get into? I wasn't even sure. Uh, I was a political science major, uh-huh. but I was a minor in English literature. Um, I was a minor in several other academic uh-huh. um, pursuits. But the real issue was it was just sort of I graduated with a degree from a good university. I went to school at Stanford, uh, and I figured the world would go on, and I'd figure out what to do on a day-to-day basis. So you needed a job just to make ends meet, and so you ended up landing a job working on ballistic missile Missile defense. defense, Wow. And um, and I'm not a technical expert at that, or certainly wasn't at that point. Mm -hmm. I I looked at it from the point of view of policy issues. Mm -hmm. Was it good for the world? Um, Was it good for the United States? Mm -hmm. Uh, That sort of thing. Um, Wrote a bunch of books on deterrence theory. uh, Became a bit of a Sovietologist. Wrote some books that are here on... um, the Soviet nuclear program and tactical warfare and strategic warfare. Um, Ended up working at the RAND Corporation for a number of years with some of the great thinkers as the nuclear nuclear standoff, the Cold War with Russia was going on. So I think I've helped the world all along by helping with strategic nuclear policy of the United States. I became uh, an expert in chemical and biological warfare and defense. I was appointed by President Reagan to be Deputy Undersecretary of the Army. Hmm. Uh, did a lot of work on Army research and development, everything from combat boots to helicopters wow. to Star Wars. Did that interest you? Were you sure. having fun? Oh, absolutely. That was, um, other than being a consultant for the last 22 years running my own consulting business, the Army job was probably the best job I ever had. Uh, I had a fair amount of money that walked across my desk. I had 41 laboratories that reported to me. Uh-huh. Uh, like I said, doing everything from uh, clothing for Army troops um, to fancy um, fancy improvements in equipment. So did you? So you? So you like it from nuts to bolts, from the ground on up, from right. micro to macro. That right. interests you. And and you were also feeling like you were helping the national defense infrastructure yes. and making Americans safer in the world by doing this work. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And by understanding the problems we were facing in national defense and helping to solve them. Interesting. Um, I I very much enjoyed working for President Reagan. Mm-hmm. A great guy to work for. A 
good attitude in the sense that what he did was he picked people that he thought were competent, mm-hmm. and I was I was greatly honored to be amongst that group. Yeah. Um, but then he let us go do our jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not a micromanager. He basically said, "Go out and do good, and if you need me, call me." Um, which was the right approach, I think, to allowing me to make the world better. So how did you develop a, div- a vision for how to make the world better? He said, go out and do good. How did you figure out for yourself what that really entailed? Well, in some of the same ways that I have in this campaign for the last 16 months mm-hmm. uh, for the congressional seat here in District 6, go out and listen to people Listen to what their problems are, listen to what their issues are, mm-hmm. and try and figure out solutions. Now, um, you know, I did that in the broad sense in the Army jobs. I would go visit the laboratories and say, okay, what are you working on? What are your problems? What are you trying to address? Mm-hmm. Um, and understand how I could help them. Mm-hmm. I would get letters from people. As a matter of fact, there was, there was, there's a really funny story Um, I'm still friends with her. A gal who wrote me once, who was an army soldier in Europe, Mm -hmm. who complained that the women in her unit had no shower. What? And so could I finally figure out how to get them a shower? So I did. Huh. Um... I mean, that's constituent service as 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 army uh, deputy secretary, deputy undersecretary. Yeah, um, I mean, and it's the same approach to being a campaigner, mm-hmm. and for that matter, to being a congressperson. Um, you know, which I'm sorry, I'm not, but we'll see what happens in the future. Well, let's take that shower example. So, mm-hmm. why wasn't just to really give a concrete example of constituent services that you provide before in a non in an appointed capacity? Mm-hmm. You know, why wasn't there a shower? And then what did you do to actually make it happen? What strings needed to be pulled? What connections needed to be made to just really get a shower for women in their own barracks? Yes, well, I don't even remember why there wasn't. It may have been one of the early units that got women soldiers, Mm -hmm. and they hadn't been set up with separate facilities. Right. Um, I don't remember the details of why it was actually not there. Sure. But what I did was I went to my executive officer and I said, okay, how do we do this? And mm-hmm. then, then you go to the logistics command mm-hmm. and you find out who supplies showers to different units and you go tell them you want a shower sent to that unit. Mm-hmm. And you just keep pulling the chains until it happens. Huh. And you just, do you have to be persistent when you oh, do that? Oh, of course. Okay. I mean, because there are always too many things to do and things get lost in the noise level mm-hmm. if you aren't persistent and keep track of them. But it, as it turns out, that, that that particular gal is now married to a friend of my husband's and mine, hmm. and so we still keep in touch. It's still sort of a chuckle. That's so fun. I'm sure you couldn't even have expected that, because you're no. thinking, I'm in the Cold War, we're fighting the Soviets, we're having large nuclear intercontinental ballistic missiles, and I need to get a shower to make right. one woman's life a little better. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I think that's part of making the world better, is you do the little things that come along, mm-hmm. um, as well as the big things that, you know, is really your long-term vision. Yeah. So, well, you had this interest and this experience. Um, why not run for elected office early in your life? What actually ever piqued your interest in electoral uh, politics? 
sort of two real things. First off, I've been very dismayed by the last eight years and what's happened to our national security posture. Are you referring to the Barack Obama administration? Yes, I am. The, okay. the, the Obama administration. Our army today mm-hmm. is now the smallest it's been since 1941. Mm-hmm. Our navy is the smallest it's been since 1918. Mm-hmm. Um, the defense budget is now 28% less than it was when um, President Obama took office. Okay. Now, while you can't measure strength by numbers, mm-hmm. you can't ignore numbers either. Okay. Uh, when when you're talking about a 200 and some ship navy, mm-hmm. you are limited in the numbers of ships you can get to where you need them in the world. And say under Ronald Reagan, were there more than 200 ships? Oh, yeah. No, we tried to get a 600-ship Navy in the Reagan administration. It didn't quite get to that number, but it was, I think it got up to about 580. So we're almost basically a third the size that we were when you were in... in Right, right, right. Now, like I said, numbers aren't the only thing that's important. Mm -hmm. We certainly have good technology, and we certainly in many ways are the most technically sophisticated um, military in the world. Sure. But numbers do count at some level. Okay. And so I am dismayed by that. That's so you, well, it's one reason, yes, you saw a decrease in the size of military and said, said, well, you know, what can I do to really make America safer, right. stronger, increase the size of the military, prevent it from being further reduced in size, yeah. and you're like, well, maybe I can't do that right now in my current consulting role, but running for Congress may be an opportunity. Right, exactly. So there was like, there was a problem. There was a particular And this problem. is a solution. And my, my, my answer to myself was, what can you do about that? Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of expertise here. I've worked in that business for a lot of years Mm -hmm. and my idea was if I could get to Congress I could help make some decisions that would impact. Okay. Okay. Now that's that's one side of it. Another side really is that my husband and I went to a program that was a year-long residence program up at Harvard Mm -hmm. a while back Mm -hmm. where the focus was on As you get to the end of your money-making career, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, what do you think about for your next incarnation? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how can you turn your expertise, experience, resources, etc., to the good of the world? Mm -hmm. It was a class of, I guess, 50 or 60 So you were students. We were essentially graduate students at Harvard for a year. As adults? As adults. Okay. I mean, this was just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And the whole focus of that pro- program was thinking about what you can do good for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there were people in it who were medical doctors who mm-hmm. were thinking about turning their expertise into how do you provide medical services to people who are underserved in, you know, for example, third world countries. There were people who were... Um, Teachers who, who wanted to talk about changing. Well, can I that? just interject right here? What would inspire someone like you to even attend a course like that? Why wouldn't you take your career, enjoy your retirement, go on vacation, go to nice restaurants? Why would anyone do an entire lifetime of a career making you know a, a, a life for themselves? Why would someone want to give back? Why would someone want to do something to make the world better and to continue well, why service? Why not? 
I mean, ultimately, that's what you're there for, is to try and make the world better at some level. I okay. Mean, and I believe that. And besides which, hey, we do take vacations. We do travel to nice places. We do go to nice restaurants. Those aren't mutually exclusive. So you can do both. You can sure. enjoy life and do public service? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I have enjoyed essentially every minute of my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm doing public service and I have done for many years. Mm -hmm. And I do a bunch of other things. I, I, I support and mentor a group of young women. Mm -hmm. Because when I was young, I didn't have a woman mentor. Mm -hmm. um, I had lots of great male mentors. but, but Would it have made a difference to you to have a female yes. mentor? Yes. Why? Absolutely. Because it feels different. There are different ways that women talk to each other than, than women talk to men. So and vice versa. Can you tell me a little bit about your mentorship of these young women? Oh yeah, no, most of them. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning. When mm -hmm. I started in the defense business, there were almost no women in it. How did you end up in it? Well, I told you, just accident. When I graduated from college, there and... wasn't any uh, reluctance on the part of your employer to hire a woman. No, no, it, it didn't seem to be. Uh huh. Um, but then I was fairly junior at that point, and mm -hmm. so you know they I think they looked at junior people quite differently, but there were no senior women in the business, and so there were no almost no, almost no senior women to talk to mm -hmm. um, and so I had a bunch of wonderful male mentors, mm -hmm. and that was fine. Mm -hmm. But that really is different. Uh, the first professional meeting I went to, for example, there were three thousand men and me. <laughs> Um, How did that make you feel? Oh, I had a ball. Yeah. I, mean, I, I really Were did. you single at the time or were you married? You were no, single. No, 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 I was single at the time. I had, I had fun. Um, those were the days when the defense industry was still allowed to have ho hospitality rooms at these sorts of um, conventions. What decade was this, generally? Oh, we're talking about the 60s. Oh, okay. <clears throat> the late 60s. So under the LBJ administration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right after the Kennedy assassination. But, um, and the, the defense industries had, you know, uh, snack rooms, you, you went in and they had food and drink and, mm -hmm. and, you know, basically one would party all, all evening. You'd go <laughs> from one hospitality room to the next. Yeah. And I had a good time, but the difference was that there are, there are, as I said, there are different ways that men and women talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So I and today that's no longer true. There are a lot of young women in the defense business. Mm -hmm. And so I find it sort of a moral obligation to mentor them. And so I have a couple of groups of younger women who come to my house maybe once every two or three months. And yes. we all get together and sit around and have a glass of wine and just talk. Huh. And I've been doing that for years. And have you, so you've developed relationships with these women, some oh, of them yeah. over a long... And some of them, and some of them come to me when they're job hunting. Some of them come to me when they have professional problems of one sort or another. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, I'm meeting with a gal uh, for coffee tomorrow that I worked with 15 years ago. I think about 15 years ago. Wow. Who now wants to change jobs. She doesn't want to stay where she is and she wants to just talk through what her options are, and how she ought to think about it, and Do you have, get my advice. Have you gotten feedback over time and seen the impact of your mentorship of these well, women? Well, I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, they all come back to me just to keep on talking, and so I think it's a positive experience for them. It's how, certainly positive for me. Did you initiate all of this? Yes. 
So yes. it's not through organizations or anything? No, it's just me, me and my friends. How do you find out about these young women? Oh, because I circulate in the business. Okay. I mean, I still go to a bunch of the, the conferences. I am one of the founders of a group called the NBC Industry Group, the Nuclear, Biological, and Chemical Industry Group. Huh. Um, all of the companies that are in that business know me. Yeah. Um, I was pr- the first woman president of a group called the Military Operations Research Society. Okay. Um, Part of it was my army appointment where everyone knew me when I was in the Reagan administration. I mean, it's just a networking thing. Why did Reagan select you out of all the hundreds of thousands of people in the military? Why were you chosen by the president at that time? I believe for two reasons. First off, because I really am good at what I do. I honestly am. Uh Um, And I am known for being competent at what I do. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, but second, because I had been a Reagan supporter during the campaign. Politically, you Politically. had volunteered? Yes, I had volunteered. And I volunteered specifically to give speeches to women's groups on how I, as a supporter of women, mm-hmm. was also a Reagan um, advocate. Now, Ferrara was a vice presidential candidate on the ticket during the Reagan administration. Was that not? Is that correct? I don't remember the date that she was. Yeah, I don't. It was remember. in the '80s, right? Yes. So, so there was a woman on a national ticket. Yeah. And so you're saying that at the time, women were saying, "Well, maybe we should vote for Democrats because that would get a woman in a national office." And you were saying, "No." Um, as a woman, I'm supporting Ronald Reagan. Well, yeah, there's a certain amount of that, although I personally don't believe you ever ought to vote for that sort of an issue. I personally think one needs to pick a candidate to vote for for a much broader set of issues than, than just a gender identification. Sure. But, but yeah, no, I, I would give speeches to things like women's political caucus events mm-hmm. on um, you know why I, as a supporter of women was also a supporter of Reagan. And this was in your free time, evenings and weekends, not at all during the work week. No, this was not a work-oriented thing. And this was before my Reagan appointment. Um, And the other thing was that through all of my work Mm -hmm. over the years, Mm -hmm. I knew a fair number of the people on the Reagan transition team. Yeah. um, Just through professional contacts and professional relationships over the years. And so they knew me. But also Reagan really did need to have some women in his administration that he felt were competent at the jobs he was picking them for. Sure. So so let's go back a little bit closer to the present. Okay. So you identified um, an issue, which was the contracting size of the military under right. the Obama administration. Right. And that, that was a concern for you. So that was one motivating factor for you to run. Are, were there any other reasons why well, you decided? Well, the, the other was this whole idea that at this stage in my career, it was time to think about how to give back. Right. Um, and then the third real reason of it was, you know, I have always been interested in helping people. And this was another way of getting to know a bunch of people I could help in some way. Right. So by actually raising your profile as a candidate, you would become somewhat of a magnet for individuals in need of assistance right. and therefore you could better identify who to help and how to help them because right. you would be a visible I could be a facilitator. Interesting. Um and that's one of the key things that I got out of the campaign was really learning 
this congressional district in depth. So tell me a little bit about the 6th Congressional District. What is it that made you want to represent this district? Well, because it's an interesting district, but also because there was a real chance that a Republican could win it. There are many areas in uh, Maryland where there's virtually no chance. Can you describe um, the district both geographically and demographically, politically, Uh, and whatever? Well... Geographically, it runs essentially from the Beltway and River Road Mm -hmm. here in Montgomery County. It meanders its way through Montgomery County, sort of more or less up Route 270. Mm -hmm. And it has part of Frederick County. It has Frederick City and the southern part of Frederick County. Mm -hmm. And then it has all of Washington, Allegheny, and Garrett Counties. Which is Western Maryland. Western Maryland. And had it's it, called Mountain Maryland in many many ways. So had it. So tell me about previous representation. Uh, the current representative is Democrat or Republican? Democrat. Um, John Delaney. He's uh, now just finishing up his second term, and he'll be starting his third term. And prior to John Delaney, how were these? How was Western Maryland and this part of the state of Maryland represented in Congress? Well, what is now District Six includes. Part of the the western area that was represented by Roscoe Bartlett, a Mm -hmm. Republican, Mm -hmm. um, and part of uh, the Montgomery County area that was represented by Connie Morella, Mm -hmm. who was also a Republican. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But their districts were differently configured. This was gerrymandered by the O'Malley administration. And how do you feel about gerrymandering? Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. It's it's one of the real reasons why our country has become so divisive, in my view. But in any event, this particular district was reconfigured by O'Malley to put the Democrat parts of Montgomery County and Frederick County mm-hmm. to overshadow the Republican parts of Western Maryland. And why is that not in the public interest? Well, because it, it makes it a very difficult district to have representation that spans the whole area of interest. I mean, the cultures and the economies mm-hmm. of the different counties are widely different. So you now, th- This isn't bad. Um, principle, but what it means is because of the demographics, which are very heavily weighted towards the voting in Montgomery County, Mm -hmm. which is very heavily Democratic, Mm -hmm. um, always overshadows the Western Maryland counties. Right. And, you know, and I think that's in general a bad thing, because if you look historically at the two terms that Delaney has served already, Mm -hmm. um, he essentially has ignored all three western counties. And for good reason from his point of view, that isn't where his voters are. And so... So they felt very neglected um, all these years. So what did you do in your campaign to let those three counties know that they would be represented by you? I was there a lot. Physically? Uh, Physically. Um, in fact, one of the gals in Garrett County said she had actually kept track of me and that I had been there 50 times during the campaign. And over what period of time? Uh, 16 months. Wow, 50 times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Which what... is essentially, what, three times a month? Yeah. No, I had originally said when I went into the campaign that my goal was to be in every county every week. So did you didn't quite make it, but close. So what is it that you learned by listening to those constituents out there 
um, that you wouldn't have known had you not visited them? And how, if you had been elected, would you have represented them in a way that the, you believe they currently are not represented? Well, I believe that they are not being represented primarily economically today. Mm -hmm. That the interests of uh, fixing their economic problems are prime, are largely ignored. And how? What does that mean to fix? Um, for example. There's a small company in Garrett County mm -hmm. that I got to know, one of the places that I visited twice, I think twice, but then I talked to one of their senior guys a third time mm -hmm. about what it is they do. Mm -hmm. And because I know a lot of companies through my work, mm -hmm. I was able to find a company here in Montgomery County mm -hmm. that needed that sort of expertise. So I married the two up and now there's additional work going on in Garrett County that there wouldn't have been otherwise. Interesting. So there was somebody able to provide a service who was located in Montgomery County. There was a business in need of a service out in Garrett County. Well, actually it was the reverse. It's the, the service provider was in Garrett County. Okay. And the company that needed that service was in Montgomery County. And you connected and them. I connected them. And that provided more revenue. More jobs to Garrett County. Which is in Western Maryland. Which is in Western Maryland. Excellent. And I've done that several other times. There were some layoffs at another company. And you did this as a candidate, you're as saying. As a candidate, of course. So you were able to affect positive change in the right. world, not even having an official elected title in front of your right. name. Right, just because I was there and because I listened and because I used my own intelligence and experience and energy mm -hmm. to bring about this match of here's a need and here's somebody who can fix the need Yeah, and everybody benefits. So as we near the end of the podcast, I'd like to ask you to reflect upon your years of service. I'd like to ask you to think about the time that you spent in the Army the mentorship of the women that, you, that you've informally done in the last few years, your race for Congress, and, and think about what it has cost you and what it has given you and what your legacy is should you never win elected office or not even just not thinking of the future at this point with all that you've done in your life. Why have you done it? What have been your motivations and what is your legacy having done all that you've done throughout the course of your life? Well, I've done it because I wanted to do some good, mm -hmm. because I like these people and I can make their life better. Mm -hmm. And so one ought, in my view, philosophically, one ought to do that if one can. Mm -hmm. um, and my legacy, I hope, is that other people will pick up the torch you know, after I'm gone and carry on. So that has been Ami Hober. Um, former Republican candidate for Maryland's 6th Congressional District, who speaks of a lifetime of service both through her career, through activism and philanthropy on, uh, in her free time, um, and basically saying, look, uh, I'm in a position to give, I'm in a position to help, and when I find myself able to help, I take the opportunity and I do it. And the world is better off because I have taken responsibility to make the world better where I can, how I can, with the resources I have at that moment. Right. Thank you so much for joining us, Ami. This has been episode 54 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.